0: All right, we're going to continue on. So back in 1987, <laughs> yeah, I did I did uh, do a step-by-step through Matthew, and I have a lot of sermons that are an old-fashioned handwritten sermons. Can you believe it? Back in filing cabinets that were hard drives. They used to be hard drives, remember? Remember when books used to be hard drives? Yeah, so I actually found some of them, and I go, these actually aren't that bad. <laughs> actually pretty good. But <clears throat> well, we want to start working our way through on Matthew's Gospel. Of course, we're grateful for that a rendition of the life of Jesus Christ as we begin this brand-new year. Why not begin at the beginning and go through, you know? What else are we going to do? So we want to go deep into the this treasure chest. There's always more you can learn from God's Word. You can go, oh, shoot, I, how many times you read through Matthew's Gospel? In fact, you can listen to it. Amazing. You know, everything's online. You can just turn it on, listen to it. So I've already listened to it one and a half times and portions of it over and over again just to get a feel for it again. But uh, it's so easy. But There's always more to learn. We're like little kids at the beach with a little plastic bucket trying to empty the ocean into a little hand-dug pit thinking that you've got somewhere. The Bible is such an amazing book, it's so deep. No matter how much you know, it's just deeper and deeper, and there's no end to it. And I've been studying a long time, and I'm finding all kinds of new things, so I still wanna do the Sunday School class I was telling you about, but I found so many new things that I have to uh, incorporate just so much fun stuff. It's just gonna be amazing. And so we'll start that soon. And the purpose of that would be uh, you know, after church on Sunday, I know a lot of people hang around. But even if you didn't, we'll be able to film it, leave it on video, so you can watch anytime you want. And we'll look at the origin of the New Testament, canon of Scripture, uh, you know, all the the controversies surrounding the New Testament, and some fun things—just awesome, awesome things. What do you say? All right. So we looked at—we started last week looking at Matthew. Uh, we found out that he's a tax collector. Jesus comes up to him and uh, says, come follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him, and his life was changed ever since. Okay? When he responded to that call to go follow Jesus, there's no turning back for him. It's all forward. It didn't make his life better. It didn't make him more prosperous. He already had a prosperous job. He's already well off. He gave all that up to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important in the entire world than finding and following Jesus Christ. You can have all the money in the world. You can have all the comforts in the world. But if you don't know Jesus, you don't have anything. So we find out that he's a tax collector at Capernaum. You can see here on the map, we looked at it before. Damascus in the north, Antioch. This is a little chunk of Israel. Tyre, uh, let's see, Sea of Galilee. So Capernaum, as you can see, is a main thoroughfare from the north, from the south, converge in that particular location. There it is on a bigger picture. Uh, you can see Caesarea there. Uh, it's a beautiful city even to this day, but obviously this is all in ruins. It's got a gigantic amphitheater left over from the Roman period. Numerous uh, cities here are Greek speaking Roman cities. Joppa, of course, is where Peter had the revelation uh, to uh, go up to uh, Cornelius' house. Remember that? And you can see Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Qumran, the edge of the Dead Sea. It's only like 70 miles or so from Nazareth to Jerusalem. What's that, like going to Santa Barbara? Something? But uh, walking, it's a lot longer, all right? <laughs> My foot, it's a little bit longer. So to the east is, uh, it's called the Decapolis, 10 cities, Greek cities, Greek-speaking, Roman em- uh, Empire. Rome ruled, the Mediterranean ruled, uh, ruled this time. So Greek is a major language. It's the uh, English of the ancient world, so to speak. So... It would be very likely that Matthew spoke a number of different languages. He would know Aramaic, which is the language of Palestine, of the Jews at this time. He would know Greek, which, as I said, is the universal business language of the day. And he probably also spoke other dialects because he's collecting taxes from international foreigners who come through there. So I'll... Being the smart guy that he was, I imagine that he would know many of those dialects. Most people in the world speak more than one language. Did you know that? So it's kind of funny because I've led a number of different tour groups, and we were in Egypt, and everywhere you go, as a tourist, they want to sell you things. So I was at the Sphinx, and, of course, all the little... Vendors are there trying to sell you trinkets. And so this little Egyptian kid came up to me and was uh, trying to sell me stuff, talking to me in English. So I spoke to him in Spanish, thinking I'm going to set him off. He won't know what I'm talking about. He'll go away disappointed. Then he answered me back in perfect Spanish, you know, going to sell me his stuff. It's like, okay. Huh? (laughs) I don't think so. I bought so much stuff over there, it was unbelievable too much, I have actually some really fun things, I bought some papyri and uh, different documents and things, so yeah, it was a lot of fun things. But as a tax collector, uh, Matthew would be, uh, it would be necessary to keep records of course, and he'd have honed writing skills, he'd be uh, educated, he'd have command of languages, which would make him a perfect choice to write the first gospel, what do you say? And, of course, the gospel of Matthew would be a collaborative effort. And one of the major contributors to Matthew's gospel would have to be Jesus Christ, since it's all about him anyway. Are you there? So Matthew comes into his gospel in chapter 9. So where did he get all the information in the first eight chapters? He would have to get them from sources, from other people, from people, eyewitnesses who were there. He's got the Magi nobody has. He's got you know, stories about John the Baptist. He wasn't there for that. All that stuff up until this point, he has to get from other people. Now, we also know that Jesus spent 40 days after his death and resurrection, and we talked about this before, and this is a really important discovery, and people are not appreciating this fully. But for 40 days, he spent with his key apostles, and he even appeared to 500 people at one time, spoke to them about the kingdom of God. What was was this 40-day course of study? It was about the kingdom of God. And we can see in Luke, at the very last chapter of Luke, uh, we have kind of a synopsis of what kinds of things he was teaching them during this 40-day period about the kingdom of God. He says, everything that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms. How, how, how much is that? That's a lot, isn't it? That's like the Old Testament. So what did he do? He opened their minds so they could understand Scripture. Now, I, we did go into this before, but just to bring it back again and to do some broad brushstrokes because we're going to appreciate this more as we get into this just how impactful this 40 day period was in the life of the apostles. Now could you imagine for a moment that Matthew during this 40 day period being the tax collector that he was would not take any notes about any of the scriptures that Jesus gave them? What do you think they're doing? Chewing gum in the back, playing video games? Huh? Passing notes? No, this is the most serious 40 days of their entire lives. Are you with me? So the opening of their minds so that they can understand Scripture concerning Jesus happened after the resurrection and before Pentecost. All in favor? Let me flip my teleprompter. So, it's no wonder, then, that we find in Matthew's Gospel the phrase, to fulfill what was spoken in Scripture 16 times. 16 times that you can finally it, look it up in your concordances, which means to bring to completion, to realize what the prophets taught, to completely fill it up. Okay, so if you take that word in the Greek language, use your concordances, go through Matthew's Gospel, you can find it uh, f- uh, at least 16 times in this particular phraseology. I just showed you a couple of them here so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. So in Matthew 1, 22, it says, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then they're going to quote the prophecy where they found it in the book of Isaiah. And then Joseph took the child at night and uh, left for Egypt, flight into Egypt, they call it. Uh there he remained, and uh, this was to fulfill what has been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Matthew 2.17. This was spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled. This was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophets. You'll be called the Nazarene. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And, of course, Jesus said this, and I'm not going to show you all of them, but I'm just to give you an idea, in Matthew's gospel, how many times these scriptures that I believe were given to them by Jesus Christ Himself in this 40-day period embedded themselves in Matthew's gospel. And Jesus said, This I haven't come to abolish the law and prophets. I've come to fulfill, to fulfill them. He is the fulfillment of all of those prophecies that deal with the Christ. So Matthew's gospel. Is very Jewish and of course written from a Jewish perspective in the Jewish language. What else would you expect? Right? I would expect it to be in Aramaic and then uh, translated into Greek. Uh, because at first the gospel goes out in Jerusalem, which is an Aramaic speaking area, and they would want the gospel in their own language. Who wouldn't want that? but there's so many Greek-speaking Jews also in Jerusalem and spread throughout the world, why wouldn't you also produce it in the major language of the planet at the time, okay? It just doesn't make any sense that they wouldn't do that. So the Jewish people were very interested in genealogies, and there's a number of genealogies uh, in Scripture. Sometimes you're reading through the Old Testament and they've got these big, long list of names. You go, this is so boring. I just got to get through all these, Right? Uh, in Genesis 5, they got the genealogy of Adam and Eve. Genesis 10, uh, 10 Shem, Shemhem and Japheth. Uh, then they got from uh, Genesis 11, they got from Shem to Abraham. So it's interesting that genealogies are very important to Jewish people. Uh, William Barclay in his commentary on the book of Matthew wrote, A priest, for instance, was bound to reproduce or produce an unbroken record of his pedigree stretching back to Aaron. So if you actually wanted to be a member of the priesthood, you had to prove that you were related to Aaron. And if you married a woman, that woman had to have her pedigree traced back five generations. So genealogies were very important to them. Public record of genealogies was accessible. And we have a genealogy that begins uh, the story of Jesus Christ in Matthew's Gospel, the DNA, the David and Abraham of Jesus. All right? So the first section uh, traces the Jewish history from Abraham down to King David, verse 6, verse 6 verses. And of course we know everybody knows who David is. First King of the United Kingdom really developed Israel into a nation. He wasn't the first King, Saul's the first King. Uh, The second session deals with their history, uh, the the ancestral history of Jesus. We're leading up to to the birth of Jesus Christ from Solomon to the exile to Babylon. We'll look at that a little bit. That's very important that somewhere in the back of your head you understand that the ten tribes in the north were absorbed by Assyria in 722 and that the southern kingdom went into exile in 586 B.C. Okay, It's very key to understanding everything that God's doing in the world and spreading the Jews throughout the world made way for the spread of the gospel at the time of Christ. Pretty clever use of disaster. And then the third chart uh, charts the section from the return from Babylon to the time of Jesus Christ. So uh, we see that there's a number of things here that are very important to our understanding of the New Testament. You've got, uh, first of all, Jesus, the name Jesus, right? Joshua, God, uh, the, God saves, Christ, David, Abraham. These three things are extremely important to understanding everything that takes place in the New Testament. It's so foundational to appreciating everything that's going to go on from this moment forth. So we want to get an idea of these three uh, parts today, okay? And as I said, you could do your Ph.D. on just this one verse, by the time you figure out who Abraham is and all the culture and the geography and the history related to him, his travels and journeys and who King David is and the archaeology and all the p- political issues surrounding him and, of course, Jesus, you know, that you can spend the rest of your life studying this stuff. There's no end to it. All right? So there's a big interest today to discover your genetic roots. Anybody do that yet? Way in the back. Okay, what are you, Grace? I, oh my gosh, I wow. My <laughs> Come on. 20% West African and Irish. An Irish African. That's great. No, it's amazing. I mean, we're all a combination of so many things. There's probably nobody that's 100% anything. You know what I'm saying? So I, I did mine. <laughs> I it in two different places to heritage and ancestry. So I'm 90% Scandinavian. I feel pretty good about that, Scandinavians. (laughs) And I'm 8% Spanish, and 1% Inuit, 1% Italian. So I made tamales for Christmas to celebrate my my brown side. (laughs) And I'm supposed to be related to Annie Oakley, all right? Yeah, believe it or not. (laughs) And I really feel good about my Inuit. My Inuit heritage, one percent Inuit. I feel connected there. Feels awesome. I'm telling you. <laughs> look at that. Look at. I can get my hair just look like that. How many of you see my hair like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah, it's morning here. So Jesus in the human chain is the descendant of Abraham and David, also in Luke's gospel, charts them all the way back to Adam. Can you imagine having a genealogy that can trace you all the way back to Adam and Eve? Who, who could do that? That's amazing. Huh? I'm telling you, that's some heavy DNA. So the first word is Christ, and most of us are very familiar with the fact that the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title, It means anointed one. It comes from the Hebrew term for Messiah. And when they translated the Bible into Greek, the Hebrew word for Messiah becomes Christos, which in English is Christ. So Messiah and Christ are synonymous terms. They mean the same thing. You can use them interchangeably. Uh, No harm done here. But what was the Messianic expectation? Now, it developed over a, a, a long period of time And because it meant an anointed one, they used it for Cyrus, they used it for kings, they used it for different purposes. But at some point, it became a designation for this very special uh, son of David that was to come and to free Israel from their enemies. So the Messiah would be the king of the Jews a political leader who would defeat their enemies and bring in a golden era of peace and prosperity. The Jewish people always struggle against political enemies and the Messiah would be a political military leader that would end that era or the age of oppression. Now that messianic expectation, the background of that, boiling on the pot somewhere will come into incredible play when we try to look at Matthew 24 in some of the apocalyptic sections of that sec, uh, that portion because Jesus conflicts with current messianic expectation all the time, all right, because it was only one-sided. Anyway, the word Messiah is used in conjunction with King David who became the model of the messianic king who would come at the end of the age. They're looking forward to Messiah. So even when John the Baptist came and was preaching in the wilderness, what they say? Are you the... Messiah. He goes, no, the one's coming greater than me. I can't even untie his his shoe. That's how important he is. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the people of Israel lived in expectation of the coming son of David. So it's extremely important from the very beginning in this genealogy that not only is Jesus the, the Messiah, but he is the Messiah that is the son of David. And he is the Messiah that is the son of Abraham. So we chart Matthew 1.1 to Matthew 1.16. You can see from beginning to end, Jesus is called Messiah. Jesus is Christ. Okay? So in 1.1, this is the genealogy of the Christ. And in one sixteen, Joseph is the husband Mary of whom was born Jesus who is called the Christ. So, this genealogy from Matthew highlights the fulfillment of all messianic prophecies in Jesus as the Christ. We're not waiting for another Christ, we're not waiting for another prophet, we're not waiting for someone else to come. He's the one, all of them, take them all, pour them in there, that's Jesus Christ. And it's significant that there's only one person in the entire world that could fulfill all the messianic prophecies that have been piling up and accumulating for thousands of years. The prophecies contain the exact picture of the coming Messiah and are full of divine truth. And so, like I say, it accumulates to the point where uh, there's no mistake that can possibly be made. They can only apply to Jesus. So are you excited about that? So if you think about the Bible this big old thick book. It wasn't always one book, was it? It was 66 individual pieces that have come together to form this, written over you know, 1,500 years. Can you imagine anything in your hands that exists from 3,000 years ago, guarded and kept, subject to corruption, subject to wars and pestilence and lies and cheat? That we have this doc. What, what other book is like this? Who, who, in what culture has this? This is the only one of its kind like this. Can you imagine? And they kept these prophecies faithful, faithful, copied, 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 transmitted, transmitted faithfully until we get to the time of Christ, and we go, "Oh yeah, he's the he's the guy. He's that one." And the more you study the Bible, the more amazing it becomes. And it's a human book, isn't it? Sure, it's got human frailties. But the story's good. It tells the story accurately and completely. And Jesus fulfills those things. He is the seed of Abraham. He's also the son of Eve from Genesis 3.15. We look at that often here, where God said, I'm going to send a son born of the woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent. He is that son. He is that seed. He's the seed of Abraham. He's the seed of David. He's the royal Messiah. He's the righteous branch of David, Jesus' Lord, our righteousness. So, as we look at a couple of Messianic prophecies, not a lot of them, because there's plenty, but just a couple. What do you say? Thank you. So, the Lord says, the days are coming when I'm going to do this. I'm going to raise up to where? To whom? David. King David, a righteous branch. Now, Jeremiah is about 600 B.C., David's about 1,000 B.C., okay? So this is much after David. But God says, I'm going to raise up a king from the line of David who will do what is just and right in the land. Wouldn't that be a miracle? Wouldn't you look forward to that? What do you say? Wouldn't it be great to have leadership that was just and right? Not today. So in Jeremiah 23, 6, it says, The name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness, which is Yahweh canoe. Yahweh, the Lord, is the sacred name. Of God and is applied to the Messiah or this king in the line of David so this coming king from the branch of David is going to be called the Lord how significant is that God's going to raise up a king from the line of David and be called Yahweh and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him check it out and this is in Isaiah now it's 700 years before Christ or so Uh, she will come up from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Well, we look in the genealogy, Jesse's the father of King David. So from Jesse, the father of King David, this branch will bear fruit. And check us out. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of knowledge. And the fear of the Lord. What did Jesus say? The spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointing me to preach the gospel to the poor. So this... Coming son of David, this kingly descendant, Messiah, the Lord, Messiah and Lord will have the anointing of the Holy Spirit poured out in a manifold um, numerous, numerous ways. We're familiar with this particular verse because John used it in Matthew 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare a way of the Lord. A highway for our God. Lord, of course, is the word Yahweh, God is the word Elohim. This is definitely a verse that is referring to Almighty God. And in Matthew 3, when we get there, we'll see that this verse is applied to the coming of Jesus Christ. So why do we believe that Jesus is God? Why do we believe that He's the Lord of righteousness? Why do we believe that He's not only the Messiah? but he's also the son of God is because it's clearly taught in Scripture, clearly taught. in Malachi says, I'm going to send my messenger. He's going to prepare a way before me. The Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The Lord, Yahweh, is going to come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant. In whom you delight, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. So the Lord says the Lord's coming. The Lord says, the Lord's coming to his temple. Okay, put them all together. What do you got? You get a great picture of what Jesus looks like. And, of course, we know where he's born. We know the family's from. We know the kind of ministry he's got. There's other hundreds of uh, prophecies concerning others, some of the ministry. But he's born in the city of David, Bethlehem. For out of you will come for me one who is ruler of Israel. And, of course, this is quoted again in Matthew's gospel. So we see... This prophetic picture from thousands of years, accumulated, can only be one person. There's no one like one. He's got no equal. He's the Messiah. You'd have to be blind. You'd have to refuse, be hard in heart to ignore the scriptural portrait of Jesus and to reject Jesus as Messiah. Are you with me? Any sensible person, anyone who has any respect for history, for literature, could look at that and go, just from a literary point of view, There's only one person that can be described by these endless amounts of prophecy, and that is the Lord, our righteousness, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He's also the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham lived around 2,000 B.C. I mean, mean, can you imagine even knowing something about somebody that lived 2,000 B.C.? Why would we even have that? It's because somebody wrote it down, somebody copied it, Kept it, guarded it, preserved it all the way up, right? to the time of Christ and kept doing it until we still have it. How amazing is that? What do you got from 2000 BC? What, you got little broken uh, clay pots? You got a couple of little, you know, things that you found, archaeologists finding digs and things like that. You don't find anything like this. I mean, how amazing that these prophecies were guarded and protected so faithfully so that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when Jesus comes he's the guy. Right there. And I I have it. Can you imagine having all this wealth at your own possession right now? I mean, maybe you could get one scroll, a little fragment or you know oral teaching from somebody, but to have all this, this is absolutely incredible. And you know scholars have pored over this obviously for, you know, thousands of years and even more recently every inch of this thing has been gone over and of course there's there's fake the, theologians right it's fake news fake theology but still we pretty much know he lived around 2000 BC David about a thousand or so so from Matthew 1 1 to King David is about a thousand years Six in six uh, verses. You just just went through a thousand years in six verses, one one to six. So when you read the genealogy, just remember how compact it is. Okay, it's just you're talking about you know how much how much of this you know just six little verses. That's what I'm saying. You can go expand it, add water, let it grow. So it takes 45 seconds to leisurely read those six verses, but it's a thousand-year period. And most likely, Matthew got this list from public records. But think about how how accurate could you expect a genealogy to be for over a thousand years from 2,000 years ago? you know what I'm saying? So the fact that they have anything that records this genealogy is pretty amazing. Now, my cousin did tons of research on my Swedish side. Traced my family back 250 years, isn't that amazing? That's about as far as I can go back. And I still have relatives that live in Sweden. And on my mother's side, I can only trace my family back to the mid-1800s in Philadelphia, uh, but because they're from Switzerland, I actually went to Bern, Switzerland, and did some research. And I was able to tra- track my family back uh, to, to this particular location. But the point being, we're here, right? And we're descendants of somebody 1,000 years ago. Whether you know about it or not, we're all related to somebody, right? Or you wouldn't be here. Think how crazy it is. How far back people go, we're all related to somebody. Oh, and eventually we get back to Adam and Eve, right? Aren't we all related to Adam and Eve? The most recent common ancestor 10,000 years ago? Incredible. I'm just so glad you did not have to wear pants like that. <laughs> Let's move. So as you look through these six verses, there's obviously not a whole lot given. There's noticeable gaps, and Moses isn't mentioned, right? So you got to fill in the gaps. But only the people that pertain to the chain are included in the beginning down with Abraham. Now Abraham, the uh, last guy, he's the, one of the most important people in human history as far as we're concerned. Three major religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all call him their father. And think, think about a little Bedouin. He's, he's got some sheep and some cattle, and he's living in the Middle East somewhere, and we know about him. <laughs> Isn't that weird? How crazy is that? Do you know anybody else back from those days? Oh, maybe King Tut or something. You've heard of him. But this is a life-changing episode in Abraham's life. We know him as Abraham. God changes his name later on. He's known by two names. But he says, uh, here's what I want you to do. Leave your country, your people, your father's household. Go to the land, I'll show you. I did a whole sermon on this. 13 years ago it's still good not gonna do it now this is a major change in his life and a major step of obedience and again as soon as he steps out the door his life has changed forever right there's no going back as soon as Matthew gets up from the tax booth no going back and so if you think about God at work since before the creation of the world, how old's God? You know, what, 15 billion years? Who knows how old he is, right? He's older than time. We get to be a part of this history. What an honor, what a privilege. So when God calls you, you go. How How many people have that opportunity? Abraham had that opportunity. God met with him and called him. And God says, look it, I got some stuff. I'll make you. Now, you remember when he called the apostles what he said, I'll make you fishers of men. So God is in the business of making and remaking and restoring and uh, directing, isn't he? I will make you. This is one of the great things about God is that in our partnership with him, he will take us places and cause things to happen in our life that we could not possibly even dream of. I'll make you a great nation. Are you kidding me? He's got some cows, some sheep, you know, some stuff like that. He, he can't even imagine what that would look like. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. I'll bless those who bless you. That's a good thing. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. All people on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this is a very significant promise that gets repeated in the New Testament. And it's, it's the Abrahamic blessing And we want to be a blessing. We want to receive this blessing of Abraham, and we want to pour this blessing out to the nations. That's pretty much it, right? It's not complicated. Get the blessing of God, be a blessing. Some people, wherever they go, make people happy. Some people, whenever they go, make people happy. So Haran, up in the north, a uh, big journey down. It's, it's, I can't even imagine what that would be like taking your whole family and going. Let's go for a hike. <laughs> they ended up in Egypt. It was, it was a terrible story. <laughs> but he's, I mean, plus, he's 75 years old. He's as old as Bob. Can you imagine Bob and Rosella walking 800 miles with all your family and friends? To go to a strange, unknown land. Go to a land I'll show you. Could you like give me a little something on the map first? <laughs> no, just just go, just go. And it's kind of that way, right? God will open a door, another door, and another door. And you know, I mean, even how you know, I end up in Malawi. It's like I didn't. That wasn't the first place I went. But these, this one led to that, and something led to something else. And then God works and shapes, and then there you are. You're you're where you're supposed to be. <sighs> and then poor Sarah's got to drag her along with him. That's got to be hard. But he believed God, right? He believed in God, believed what God said. Uh, he left, as the Lord told him, 75 years old, took his wife, all his stuff, and he set out for the land, the promised land, and they arrived there. And then we're going to skip like 25, 24 years, <laughs> all kinds of. Of interesting stories, so I can say there's a Lot to Abraham, but we just want to see how he figures so importantly in the New Testament. So he's ninety, he's ninety-nine, he's almost hundred, and the Lord came to him and says, "Hey, I'm I'm God. Remember me? Yeah. Be blameless, which is all God ever wants anyway, right? This is before temple, before journeys, before food laws, before priests, before." Uh, you know, sacrifices. He says, look, just do what's right, walk blameless before me. Isn't that amazing? And this is also important for us to remember because in the New Testament, we're always going back to Abraham. We're not going back to Moses, okay? So there's a Messianic movement today, a lot of Jews becoming uh, uh, Messianic Jews, born-again Jews, and there's a lot of people who are, want to replicate some of the practices of moses it's fine do all that right we want to do passovers we want to celebrate the jewishness of our faith that's great but they're not requirements you're not holier because you do it or less holy because you don't this is why they're honoring abraham for his naked faith he believed what god said and he obeyed god and it was credit to him as righteousness, and it's the faith of Abraham that we go back to, the simplicity of following God, walking with him, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you and God do it together. All right, it's extremely important. Appreciate everything that's going on. I got a little menorah, like the light on. Been to Israel any number of times. Appreciate everything that goes on over there. Ultimately, it's you and God, all right? Nothing else. I don't need anything else. Don't need journeys. Don't need food laws. Don't need to wear special clothes. Don't need to get tattoos. Don't need relics. Don't need images. Don't need stained glass windows. Don't need hierarchies. Don't need buildings. Don't need stuff. Okay. What you need is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get amen? Very, very important. And he says, "I'm going to confirm my covenant between me and you." And this is something that we want to appreciate also because there's a covenant God made with Abraham, and that's the one that we want to remember as we approach this Gospel of Matthew. So, Abraham fell face down, Genesis 17, God said, This is my covenant. You will be the father of many nations. Still, he's going, I don't think I got many kids right now to make that happen. Uh, but no longer will you be Abraham, you'll be Abraham. So, he's got a second name here. And I'm here. I've I've made you the father of nations. He already is, right? This is the promise. I'll make you fruitful, make nations, kings will come from you. Establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you. And what? Your descendants. After you for generations to come. So we are descendants of Abraham spiritually, are we not? As the New Testament tells us this. So it's kind of exciting because... We get to participate in this blessing as believers in Christ. We receive the blessing of Abraham to be your God, the God of your descendants after you. So not only you, but your children, right? And this entire land I'm going to give for an everlasting possession to you, your descendants after you. I will be their God. Now, as you approach the New Testament... Abraham is noted 73 times in the New Testament. You can look him up. That's a lot. Okay, so he's he's big. So like I can say you can't understand the New Testament without understanding what part that Abraham plays in the whole history of Israel and of course in the line of Jesus Christ. And his faith, which is showcased for us consistently in the New Testament. So here's one for instance. In Romans chapter 4. Check this out. And this is important for us today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Abraham believed and hoped even when there was what? No reason for it. Okay? What is faith? Faith is the substance, things hoped for, the evidence of thing not seen. <laughs> so he could not have any possible reason for believing that God was going to do what he said he was going to (laughs) do, Okay, He's almost 100 years old. His wife cannot have children. I'm sure they've tried, scientifically, right? Cannot. I believe science. (laughs) But science doesn't make, make way for miracles. All right. So God is making it absolutely impossible to be natural. It's a miracle. okay? He did that with Mary and Joseph, didn't he? Absolutely impossible. So it can be no doubt, no question that this is a miracle. So now Abe's on his cane, and poor little Sarah can't have any kid. His body's practically dead. His faith did not weaken when he thought of his body, which was practically dead, or the fact that Sarah cannot have children. It sounds like a long list of why God can't do this, right? But he didn't doubt God's promise, and his faith filled him with the power, and he gave praise to God, all right? A lot of stuff goes on in the world that makes no sense, that has no reason, but God is still God. The promises are still good and God will uh, fulfill his promises even if we believe that there's no reason for hoping the, uh, the glory of faith is we actually believe. What just happened here? Stay. All right. He didn't doubt God's promise, filled him with power, gave praise to God. It goes on. He was absolutely sure... That God would be able to do what He promised, and did He? Did not according to Abraham's time frame, was it? That is why Abraham, through faith, was accepted as righteous by God. Okay. And the words he was accepted as righteous were not written for him alone. That's exciting news. They were written also for us. Who are to be accepted as righteous, who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, Sid Canoe from death. It wasn't just for him, wasn't just for 2,000 years ago, it's for us today. Because of our sins, he was given over to die, and he was raised to life in order to put us right with God. That is very exciting news, ladies and gentlemen. This truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, We're accepted as righteous before God by faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Isn't that awesome? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Thank God for that. If we had to, you know, do a certain list or programs or requirements or something, you know, it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be available. If it costs money, who who can afford it? You know what I'm saying? So it's a gift. And it's a gift that needs to be received. We have thousands and thousands of years of history behind it. Another two thousand years since the time of Christ. There's billions of believers all over the world who've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ who've been born again and who are legit, decent human beings. Are you with me? Are there crazies out there? Always, always. Have nothing to do with Jesus. Right? Seriously. Are you with me? If it looks like Jesus, it's Jesus. If it looks like the devil, guess what? It's the devil. <laughs> Call whatever you want. It's easy. To tell the difference. <sighs> so, in Luke and we'll see this in Matthew also, they were saying that we have Abraham as our father. So they felt like in the time of Christ that that's their mantra, that's all they had to do, was just to say, hey, I'm really Abraham, right? I'm part of the elect of God. Well, if you're part of the elect of God, then act like the elect of God, right? Bring forth fruit that shows you're a legitimate player with faith. Don't just say you got Abraham as our father. That means absolutely nothing. God's able to raise up children of Abraham from stones. Could God do that if you want? I don't doubt it. Right? Took Adam from dirt, right? What's the difference? So the promise to be a child of Abraham is to the Gentiles by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Okay? the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture doesn't say see to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. And he who supplies the Holy Spirit to you and works miracles, he does it by hearing of faith, not by works of law. Anybody, anybody can do the law, right? Not everybody can have faith. Faith is a totally different system altogether, right? Criminals can keep the law when they want to. What do you say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are son of Abraham. As the scripture for seeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham. This is the gospel. In you, all nations, shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. We're blessed in Abraham. So you can see why Matthew starts out there, why it's so important that we understand Christ, David, Abraham, son of David is a title used for Jesus in Matthew's gospel more often than anywhere else. And we're very excited about that. Last one, promise. Uh, Paul is a servant of Jesus Christ. Did God God call Paul? Did Paul's life change? Did his future change? Yeah, when when he met Jesus, what happened to him? (laughs) We only know him because he responded to the call. Pick up your cross, follow me. Get out of your chair, follow me. Go to the place I'll show you. Paul was obedient. He was separated to the gospel, which he promised to the prophets and the Scripture. So we looked at some of those, haven't we? Some of the prophets in Scripture concerning his son, the Christ, our Lord, son of David, son of God, spirit of holiness, through the resurrection from the dead. Through him we've received grace. And gifts of apostleship for obedience to the faith among what? Nations. For his name among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have responded to the call of Jesus Christ, all of this can be applied to you. Amen. Think about it. We... Get to enter the pages of history after the end of this book, right? We get to write our own story. We get to participate in bringing the gospel to the nations to be a blessing to as many people as possible, your family, your nation, and to the world. And So what we want to do this year is be that blessing. What do you say? How many of you have responded to the call of Jesus? Raise your hand and say, Lord, here am I here am i send me father we just come before you right and raise them both up lord we just praise you right now we thank you for including us in your remarkable history of the of your savior jesus christ your son jesus christ the name above all names uh, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that jesus is lord we confess that today we want you to be our lord we're grateful Lord, we want to respond to your call. We want you to make something of us, something with us, to working together with the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray for this year, Lord, that it will be an awesome year, productive year, as we respond to your voice and your call. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. That's it.